Volume Two, Chapter Eleven of the Vicar of Rexhill. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. The Vicar of Rexhill by Francis Milton Trollope. Volume Two, Chapter Eleven. Charles's Conference with Mrs. Mowbray. Strolling in the shrubbery near the house, where for some time they had been anxiously awaiting his return, he met his eldest sister and Miss Torrington. Helen's first words were, "Are they angry with me?" And the reply and subsequent history of the visit filled her heart with gladness and now my privy counsellors continued charles tell me at what hour you should deem it most prudent for me to ask my mother for an audience instantly said rosalind had he not better wait till to-morrow said helen turning very pale if my advisers disagree among themselves i am lost said charles for i give you my word that i never in my whole life entered upon an undertaking which made me feel so anxious and undecided let me hear your reasons for thus differing in opinion why rosalind do you recommend such prodigious promptitude because i hate suspense and because i know the scene will be disagreeable to you wherefore i opine that the sooner you get it over the better and you helen why do you wish me to delay till to-morrow because oh charles because i dread the result you have no idea as yet how completely her temper is changed she is very stern charles when she is contradicted and if you should make her angry depend upon it that it would be mr cartwright who would dictate your punishment my punishment nonsense helen i shall make miss torrington both my chancellor and archbishop for her advice has infinitely more wisdom in it than yours where is she in her own dressing-room i believe so faltered helen well then adieu for half an hour perhaps for a whole one where shall i find you when it is over in my dressing-room said helen no no cried rosalind i would not have to sit with you there for an hour watching you quiver and quick every time a door opened for my heiress ship let us walk to the great lime-tree and stay there till you come and so envelop yourself in a november woodland fog wherein to sit waiting till about four o'clock the wisdom lies with helen this time miss torrington i think you have both of you been pelted long enough with falling leaves for to-day and therefore i strongly recommend that you come in and wait for my communication beside a blazing fire have you no new book no lively novel or fancy-stirring romance wherewith to beguile the time novels and romances oh mr mowbray what a desperate sinner you must be the subscription at hookham's has been out these three months and the same dear box that used to be brought in amidst the eager rejoicings of the whole family is now become the monthly vehicle of evangelical magazines christian observers missionary reports and religious tracts of all imaginable sorts and sizes we have no other modern literature allowed us poor girl said charles laughing what do you do for books why the old library supplies us indifferently well i must confess and as fanny has changed her morning quarters from thence to the print-room which is now converted into a chapel of ease for the vicar we contrive to abduct from thence such volumes as we wish for without difficulty but we were once very near getting a book which i have been told is of the most exquisite interest and pathos of any in the language by a pleasant blunder of mrs mowbray's i chanced to be in the room with her one day when she read aloud an old advertisement which she happened to glance her eye upon stitched up in a review of some dozen years standing i believe some passages in the life of mr adam blair minister of the gospel that's a book we ought to have said she very solemnly rosalind give me that list for hatchards i will add this i took up the advertisement as she laid it down and not having it before her eyes i suspect that she made some blunder about the title for when the box came down i took care to be present at the opening of it and to my great amusement instead of the little volume i was hoping to see i beheld all blair's works with a scrap of paper from one of the shopmen on which was written mrs mowbray is respectfully informed that the whole of blair's works are herewith forwarded but that j p is not aware of any other life of adam than that written by moses this was a terrible disappointment to me i assure you 
they had now reached the house the two girls withdrew their arms and having watched charles mount the stairs they turned into the drawing-room and from thence to the conservatory and then back again and then upstairs to lay aside their bonnets and cloaks and then down again first one and then the other looking at their watches till they began to suspect that they must both of them stand still or something very like it so creepingly did the time pass during which they waited for his return on reaching the dressing-room door charles knocked and it was opened to him by fanny the fair brow of his mother contracted at his approach and he immediately suspected what was indeed the fact that fanny had been relating to her the conversation which had passed between them in the morning he rather rejoiced at this than the contrary as he thought the conversation could not be better opened than by his expressing his opinions and feelings upon what had fallen from her during this interview he did not however wish that she should be present and therefore said will you let me dear mother say a few words to you tete-a-tete come fanny run away will you for a little while fanny instantly left the room and mrs mowbray without answering his request sat silently waiting for what he was about to say i want to speak to you mother about our dear fanny i assure you i am most uneasy about her i do not think she is in good health either of body or mind your ignorance of medicine is i believe total charles she replied dryly and therefore your opinion concerning her bodily health does not greatly alarm me and you must pardon me if i say that i conceive your ignorance respecting all things relating to the human soul is more profound still i am sorry you should think so dearest mother but i assure you that neither physic nor divinity have been neglected in my education and by whom have you been taught blind guides have been your teachers who have led you i fear to the very brink of destruction when light is turned into darkness how great is that darkness my teachers have been those that my dear father appointed me and i have never seen any cause to mistrust either their wisdom or their virtue mother and know you not that your poor unhappy father was benighted led astray and lost by having himself listened to such teaching as he caused to be given to you but you charles if you did not harden your heart even as the nether millstone might even yet be saved among the remnant put yourselves into the hands and under the training of the pious blessed minister whom the lord hath sent us open your sinful heart to mr cartwright charles and you may save your soul alive mother said charles with solemn earnestness mr cartwright's doctrines are dreadful and sinful in my eyes my excellent and most beloved father was a protestant christian born educated and abiding to his last hour in the faith and hope taught by the established church of his country in that faith and hope mother i also have been reared by him and by you and rather than change it for the impious and frightful doctrines of the sectarian minister you name who most dishonestly has crept within the pale of an establishment whose dogmas and discipline he profanes rather mother than adopt this mr cartwright's unholy belief and obey his unauthorized and unscriptural decrees i would kneel down and implore that my bones might at once be laid beside my father's leave the room charles mowbray exclaimed his mother almost in a scream let not the walls that shelter me be witness to such fearful blasphemy i cannot and will not leave you mother till i have told you how very wretched you are making me and my poor sister helen by thus forsaking that form of religion in which from our earliest childhood we have been accustomed to see you worship why why dearest mother should you bring this dreadful schism upon your family can you believe this to be your duty by what right human or divine do you thus question me lost unhappy boy but i will answer you and i trust that i shall be forgiven for intercommuning with one who lives in open rebellion to the saints yes sir i do believe it is my duty to hold fast the conviction which heaven in its goodness has sent me i do believe it is my duty to testify by my voice and by every act of my life during the remaining time for which the lord shall spare me 
for the showing forth of his glory that i consider the years that are past as an abomination in his sight that my living in peace and happiness with your unawakened and unregenerate father was an abomination in the sight of the lord and that now at the eleventh hour my only hope of being received rests in my hating and abhorring and forsaking and turning away from all that is and has been nearest and dearest to my sinful heart charles listened to this rant with earnest and painful attention and when she ceased looked at her through tears that presently overthrowed his eyes have i then lost my only remaining parent said he and can you thus close your heart against me and your poor helen my mother by the blessings of providence i am strong replied the deluded lady struggling to overcome heaven's best gift of pure affection in her heart by its blessing and by the earnest prayers of its holiest saint i am able wretched boy to look at thee and say satan avaunt but i am tried sorely she continued turning her eyes from the manly countenance of her son now wet with tears sorely sorely doomed and devoted boy am i tried but he the lord's vicar upon earth the chosen shepherd the anointed saint he even he tells me to be of good cheer for whom the lord loveth he chasteneth can you then believe mother that the merciful god of heaven and of earth approves your forsaking your children solely because they worship him as they have been taught to do can you believe that he approves your turning your eyes and heart from them to devote yourself to a stranger to your blood a preacher of strange doctrine and one who loves them not i have already told you impious maligner of the holiest of men that i know where my duty lies i know i tell you that i not only know it but will do it torment me no more leave me leave me unhappy boy leave me that i may pray for pardon for having listened to thee so long she rose from her seat and approached him as if to thrust him from the chamber but he suffered her to advance without moving and when she was close to him he threw his arms round her and held her for a moment in a close embrace she struggled violently to disengage herself and he relaxed his hold but dropping on his knees before her at the same moment he exclaimed with passionate tenderness my dear dear mother have i then received your last embrace shall i never again feel your beloved lips upon my cheeks my lips my forehead mother what can helen and i do to win back your precious love surely i shall be rewarded for this said the infatuated woman almost wildly surely i shall be visited with an exceeding great reward and will he not visit thee too unnatural son for art thou not plotting against my soul to destroy it there is then no hope for us from the voice of nature no hope from the voice of reason and truth then hear me mother for i too must act according to the voice of conscience helen and i must leave you we can no longer endure to be so near you in appearance while in reality we are so fearfully estranged you have been very generous to me in the sum which you named for my allowance at my father's death and as soon as my commission is obtained that allowance will suffice to support me for my habits have never been extravagant may i ask you to assign a similar sum to helen this will enable her to command such a home with respectable people as may befit your daughter and you will not doubt i think notwithstanding the unhappy difference in our opinions on points of doctrine that i shall watch over her as carefully as our dear father himself could have done he is a prophet yea a prophet exclaimed mrs mowbray and shall i be blind even as the ungodly and doubt his word into whose mouth heaven hath put the gift of prophecy and the words of wisdom he hath spoken and very terrible things are to come to pass can your heart resist such proof as this charles she continued raising her eyes and hands to heaven even what you have now spoken that did he predict and foretell you should speak he guessed the point then at which we could bear no more replied charles with bitterness and did he predict too what answer our petition should receive he did returned mrs mowbray either with real or with feigned simplicity and even that too shall be verified 
now then hear his blessed voice through my lips and as i say so must thou do go to your benighted sister and tell her that for her sake i will wrestle in prayer with great and exceeding anguish of spirit have i already wrestled for her but she is strong and wilful and resisteth alway nevertheless i will not give her over to her own heart's desire nor will i turn my eyes from her for a while longer i will endure and for you unhappy son i must take counsel from the same holy wellspring of righteousness and what he shall speak look that it come to pass you have denounced a terrible sentence against helen mother for nearly two years then she must look forward to a very wretched life but without your consent i cannot till she is of age remove her dear girl she has such a sweet and gentle spirit and will i trust be enabled to bear patiently her most painful situation but as for myself it may be as well to inform mr cartwright at once through you that any interference with me or my concerns will not be endured and that i advise him for his own sake to let me hear and see as little of him as possible mrs mowbray seemed to listen to these words in perfect terror as if she feared a thunderbolt must fall and crush at once the speaker and the hearer of such daring impiety but the spirit of charles was chafed and conscious perhaps that he was in danger of saying what he might wish to recall on the influence which his mother avowed that the vicar had obtained over her he hastened to conclude the interview and added i will beg you ma'am immediately to give me a draft for my quarter's allowance due on the first of this month i want immediately to send money to oxford did i not tell you charles to inform my man of business that serious and exemplary man mr corbold what money you owed in oxford and to whom and did i not inform you at the same time that he should have instructions to acquit the same forthwith yes mother you certainly did send me a letter to that effect but as my father permitted me before i came of age to pay my own bills and to dispose of my allowance as i thought fit i did not choose to change my usual manner of proceeding and therefore left what i owed unpaid preferring to remit the money myself will you please give to me the means of doing this now may heaven be gracious to me and mine as i steadily now and for ever refuse to do so great iniquity think you charles that i guided and governed as i glory to say i am by one sent near me by providence to watch over me now in my time of need think you that i will hire and pay your wicked will to defy it do you mean then mother to withdraw my allowance said charles i thank heaven that i do she replied uplifting her eyes and humbly on my knees will i thank it for giving me that strength even in the midst of weakness as she spoke she dropped upon her knees on the floor with her back towards her unhappy son he remained standing for a few moments intending to utter some nearly hopeless words of remonstrance upon the cruel resolution she had just announced but as she did not rise he left the room and with a heavy heart proceeded to look for helen and her friend though he would gladly have prepared himself by an hour of solitude for communicating tidings which had very nearly overthrown his philosophy but he had promised to see them and to tell them all that passed and he prepared to perform this promise with a heavier heart than had ever before troubled his bosom he shrank from the idea of appearing before rosalind in a situation so miserably humiliating for at this moment fears that the report mentioned by lady harrington might be true pressed upon him and though his better judgment told him that such feelings were contemptible when about to meet the eye of a friend he could not subdue them and as he opened the drawing-room door the youthful fire of his eye was quenched and his pale lip trembled oh charles how dreadfully ill you look exclaimed helen what can have passed said miss torrington looking almost as pale as himself much that has been very painful he replied but i am ashamed at being thus overpowered by it tell me both of you without any reserve have you ever thought has the idea ever entered your heads that my unfortunate mother was likely to marry cartwright no never replied helen firmly yes said rosalind falteringly but less with the hesitation of doubt than from fear of giving pain 
"'Lady Harrington told me it was spoken of,' said Mowbray, with a deep sigh. "'It is impossible,' said Helen. "'I cannot, I will not believe it, Rosalind. "'If you have had such an idea, how comes it that you have kept it secret from me?' "'If instead of darkly fearing it,' replied Rosalind, "'I had positively known it to be true, I doubt if I should have named it, Helen. "'I could not have borne that word so hateful should have first reached the family from me.' "'Has she told you it is so?' inquired Helen, her lips so parched with agitation that she pronounced the words with difficulty. "'No, dearest, she has not, and perhaps I am wrong in both conceiving such an idea and in naming it. But her mind is so violently, so strangely wrought upon by this detestable man, that I can only account for it by believing that he is—' There was much filial piety in the feeling that prevented his finishing the sentence. "'It is so that I have reasoned,' said Rosalind. "'Heaven grant that we be both mistaken.' but will you not tell us charles what it is that has suggested the idea to you for heaven's sakes relate if you can what has passed between you if i can indeed i doubt my power she spoke of me as of one condemned of heaven rosalind started from her seat do not go on mr mowbray she exclaimed with great agitation i cannot bear this and meet her with such external observance and civility as my situation demands it can do us no good to discuss this wicked folly this most sinful madness i at least for one feel a degree of indignation a vehemence of irritation on the subject, that will not, I am sure, produce good to any of us. She must go on in the dreadful path in which she has lost herself, till she meets something that shall shock and turn her back again. But all that can be done or said by others will but drive her on the faster, adding the fervour of a martyr to that of a convert. You speak like an oracle, dear Rosalind, said poor Mowbray, endeavouring to smile, and more relieved than he would have avowed himself at being spared the task of narrating his downfall from supposed wealth to actual penury before her. "'She speaks like an oracle, but a very sad one,' said Helen. "'Nevertheless, we will listen and obey. "'You have spoken to my mother, and what you have said has produced no good effect. "'To me, therefore, it is quite evident that nothing can. "'Were it not that the fearful use which we hear made of the sacred name "'makes me tremble, lest I too should use it irreverently, "'I would express the confidence I feel, "'that if we bear this heavy sorrow well, his care will be with us, "'and whether we say it or not, let us feel it.' and now rosalind we must redeem our lost time and read for an hour or so upstairs see we have positively let the fire go out a proof how extremely injurious it is to permit our thoughts to fix themselves too intensely on any thing it renders one incapable of attending to the necessary affairs of life there charles is a sermon for you but don't look so miserable my dear brother or my courage will melt into thin air i will do my best to master it helen he replied but i shall not be able to make a display of my stoicism before you this evening for i must return to oakley are you going to dine there why did you not tell me so if my conversation with my mother had ended differently helen i should have postponed my visit till to-morrow but as it is it will be better for me to go now i will drive myself over in the cab i suppose i can have joseph he rang the bell as he spoke let the cab be got ready for me in half an hour and tell joseph i shall want him to go out with me to dinner the cab is not at home sir replied the servant is it gone to the coachmaker's what is the matter with it there is nothing the matter with it sir but mr cartwright has got it then let my mare be saddled she is in the stable i suppose mr corbold has had the use of your mare mr charles for more than a month sir and terribly worked she has been dick says very well it's no matter i shall walk william the servant retired with an expression of more sympathy than etiquette could warrant helen looked at her brother in a very mournful silence but tears of indignant passion started to the bright eyes of rosalind is there no remedy for all this she exclaimed helen let us run away together they cannot rob me of my money i suppose do ask sir gilbert charles if i am obliged to stay here and witness these hateful goings-on i will i will miss torrington it would indeed be best for you to leave us 
but my poor helen she must stay and bear it then i shall stay too and that i think you might guess mr mowbray rosalind's tears overflowed as she spoke and charles mowbray looked at her with that wringing of the heart which arises from thinking that all things conspire to make us wretched when he was the reputed heir of fourteen thousand a year he had passed whole weeks in the society of rosalind and never dreamed he loved her but now now that he was a beggar and a beggar too as it seemed not very likely to be treated with much charity by his own mother now that it would be infamy to turn his thoughts towards the heiress with any hope or wish that she should ever be his he felt that he adored her that every hour added strength to a passion that he would rather die than reveal and that without a guinea in the world to take him or to keep him elsewhere his remaining where he was would expose him to sufferings that he felt he had no strength to bear End of chapter 11